So hi everyone, as Gordon said, I'm Rhiannon um, and I'm part of the teacher training course at the moment. So um, it's great to be here this morning with everyone. It's really exciting to see quite a lot of you here today on this bank holiday weekend. So that's great. Um, so like Gordon said, we are in a summer series um, on some parables from Luke. And this is the final one of the series. Um, Today's parable is called the Pharisee and the tax collector and is found in Luke 18, 9 to 14. So um, unfortunately, unlike last week, I don't have some cute children to read out the text for me like Dave did. So you're just going to have to put up with me, but hopefully I will do it justice for you. Um, So the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. When I was a little girl, I was absolutely convinced that I was an amazing singer, This is something I'd come to all by myself. No one else had given me their opinion on this, but I was convinced I was the best. I was going to be great. That was just a given. And um, in school, we were given the opportunity to audition for um, the play of Oliver. And I, of course, went for one of the two main female protagonists, um, Beth and Nancy. I sung my heart out, and I was convinced I had it in the bag. And then the allocations came up, and I was there ready, convinced of what I was going to get, because, you know, I was better than the rest of them. And guess what I got cast as? The narrator. The one no-singing role in the entire play. And to make matters worse, two of my friends got the female roles that I wanted. So it was... um, It was a good, humbling experience for me, and actually learning that singing isn't one of my gifts at that early age was a good thing, otherwise it could have turned out a bit like the X Factor moments. So um, in that sense, the humbling taught me what I didn't have, but it also showed me what I could do, which was narrate, apparently. Um, So that story is just told to show you that even from a young age, we can be proud, we can believe that we're better than everyone else. It's just kind of something that we're innately born with. Um, And so when we read this passage, we need to be careful that we don't read it as outsiders, disconnected from the story, because obviously today we don't necessarily have official Pharisees and we don't have tax collectors necessarily outside of the HMRC tax department. But Jesus is talking to us as well in this story. Because the mindsets of the Pharisee and the tax collector are still very much evident in modern day society. They're not attitudes that are gone, they are still in existence amongst us as a church and in the world. So in this parable, Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees. Now they were um, a religious sect in ancient Jerusalem. They were the elite religious in society. They were looked up to and feared by all the Jews. 
because of their detailed attention to obeying the law, like they, they kind of, every tiny little letter of the law, they stuck to and they made sure everyone else knew that they stuck to it and judged anyone who didn't live up to the standard that they set. And so they believed they were superior in the eyes of God because they did this and they looked down on everyone else who didn't stick to the rules as well. But they forgot that God looks at the heart of a man and not his deeds. So this attitude of theirs explains why they prayed the way they did, where they said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. The Pharisee in this story is the epitome of self-righteousness, which basically means that you are good enough in and of yourself and you don't really need anyone else because you're, you're awesome, basically. Um, notice his prayer has no elements of confession. He doesn't ask for forgiveness because he's just that good. He doesn't need forgiveness. He, he can do it himself. Instead, he confesses the sins of other people in his prayers, And even the thanks he offers is designed to exalt himself rather than actually thanking God. It's kind of a bit of a backhand compliment really in there. Um, His prayer is all about him. And in some translations, it even says that he prayed to himself rather than to God. So he's basically just worshipping himself in that moment. So his arrogance is breathtaking. He lists his achievements and his accomplishments And what he doesn't realize is that pride has reared its ugly head and basically has tarnished all the good that he'd done because he was so proud and was boasting about it. He says, I'm not a robber, but he robs people of mercy and dignity. He says, I'm not an evildoer, but by the sin of pride, he does the very thing that dragged Satan from heaven. He says, I'm not an adulterer, But by self-worship, he creates an idol of himself and commits adultery with God. And this is what can happen to us when we boast or put pride in the good things that we do, rather than having our security in the one who saved us. We figuratively shoot ourselves in the foot when we talk about all the good things that we do. Um, Because in Matthew 6.1, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So the pharisaical mindset is an easy one to fall into, and a lot of us probably don't even realize we're doing it. So it's helpful to keep an eye out for little symptoms in our lives. Um, Symptom number one. uh, This is an eagerness to tell other people what they're doing wrong. Now, this isn't um, in the context of trying to help someone and help them to be more like Jesus. This is in the context of just wanting to put them down and make yourself feel better. This can include gossiping and telling others about someone's sin. And the favorite Christian way to do this is to disguise gossip as prayer by going to a group of people and saying, did you hear what Melanie did in church uh, on a Friday night? She got drunk. And the Bible says you're not supposed to get drunk and she's in the worship team and I just think we should pray that God would help her to not be such a sinner. Like, can you just pray with me for her? And that is something that we def- I know I've done that. I've been like, I really want to tell this thing about this person so I'm just going to pretend that I'm holy and I'm praying for them instead. Um, so although it's vital for us to actually um, bring conviction to one another to help us mature and be more like Jesus... 
All this sort of thing can only be done from a heart of compassion and love for that other person, wanting to actually protect them and for the best, have the best for them, knowing that we ourselves fail every day. Um, so on that note, symptom number two is when you like to point out other people's faults, but you get a bit defensive when anyone else suggests that you're less than perfect. I mean, I'm sure this never happens to any of you and that you welcome feedback with open arms and delight when people have criticism. But this is definitely something that I am not so good at. I'm I'm growing in it, thankfully. But um, an example that I was reminded of when thinking about this was about 10 years ago, I'd just come back to my faith in my 20s and I was in like pretty good place spiritually. I was reading my Bible every day. I was reading loads of books. I was like on fire and um, what I didn't realize is that there was a lot of arrogance that kind of slipped in with that, with that growth. And um, I was in a certain situation at that time, and um, a friend of mine who was discipling me um, challenged me on this particular situation because she, didn't, she was absolutely in the right. She knew it wasn't the best thing for me. She knew that I wasn't doing God's best for me. So she just called me out on it. And I'd love to say that I took that feedback and changed my life but I saw red. I was like, how dare she tell me that I need to change? I read the Bible more than she does. I'm out the front prophesying. What does she know? And um, thankfully, I came down from my um, arrogant pedestal and realized that what she said was completely right, and I changed my heart. And I'm hoping that I'm getting better and healthier at dealing with criticism, um, because it's actually really important for us to be quick to invite feedback from others who love us and care for us, rather than putting our guard up. Because um, Jesus is the one who wants to mature us, and we don't necessarily know when we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing unless someone else points out to us. It's a tough one because no one likes to be criticized, but if our pride is so wounded and we are so offended by what someone else calls out, then it might be something we need to have a little look at and do a little check on our heart. Um, We all have a lot to learn. And it's important to maintain a soft and teachable heart, no matter how mature we think we are. So that leads to symptom number three. You're not teachable because you're an expert on everything. And I mean everything. So um, you know how to parent kids, but you don't even have a kid. And the preacher on Sunday, he doesn't go deep enough. He's not funny enough. Like, he doesn't mention enough Bible verses. I could definitely do better. Or, you know, you think you're basically better than LeBron James, like the basketball player. Like, what has he made that mistake? He doesn't know what he's doing. I could do a better job. And right now, some of you are picturing someone else in your head. But you need to be careful, because someone else might be picturing you and thinking you're that person. Symptom number four is the final and most devastating symptom of all. That you've forgotten your deep need for Jesus, for his grace, and for his forgiveness. We all desperately need Jesus, but if we're suffering from Phariseeitis, we tend to forget how great that need is in our lives. If you are someone who thinks, well, I know I'm sometimes unkind about people behind their backs, but at least I don't do that, and you have the tendency to magnify other people's sins and minimize your own, then you might be someone who suffers from Phariseeitis. In contrast to the Pharisee, the tax collector clearly understood the magnitude of his sins. 
When Jesus mentions the tax collector, I can imagine that the Pharisees who were listening were sort of smirking to themselves and thinking that they were going to come off so much better in this story. This is because tax collectors were hated by the Jews at the time. Tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Roman oppressors. For the Romans had come in, taken over Jerusalem, they taxed the people who lived there, and they were, they were hated. They were the enemies of the Jews. And the tax collectors worked for the Romans by taking money from their own people putting, and also putting a bit in their own pocket and giving it back to the Romans. So they were considered to be traitors to the Jewish race. Tradition even taught that if a tax collector entered your home, All the premises and the food was rendered unclean. It was like they were a kind of human virus. So they were just completely ostracized by their own people and hated also by the people who they were even working for. They were were the traitor in the story. Um, They'd be like, hopefully you'll understand some of these references. Um, You can tell what I'm a bit of a fantasy nerd. Um, They would be like Obus Diastains in in, um, the first movie of Iron Man. Or like Peter Pettigrew in Harry Potter. Or Zaruman in Lord of the Rings. Or even Jesus when he, Judas when he portrayed Jesus. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> They're very similar. Um, so even Judas when he portrayed Jesus. They turned their backs on their own people for their personal gain and reward. So to the people who were listening at the time, the obvious favor should have fallen with the Pharisees. But Jesus doesn't do things the way we expect. Now, when the tax collector prays, his plea is simple. He stood at a distance. He wouldn't look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector separates himself out from everyone else, which is something he's probably used to doing all of his life. He continues to look at the ground, trying to make himself as small as possible, heartbroken at how worthless he is, at how much of a sinner he is. He understands his desperate need for forgiveness and for the grace of God in his life. And he understands that he can do nothing to save himself, but that he is entirely at the mercy of God. Now, he understands the truth of his own sinfulness in a way that the well-educated religious Pharisees were oblivious to. And so Jesus tells us in verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus has called us to a life that is controversial to what the world offers. He calls us to abide in a kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. He calls us to a contrary way of living, where we are not like the Pharisees, where we don't look down on everyone else around us, thinking that we as Christians are better on a pedestal. But he calls us to remember that we were once just like that tax collector, brokenhearted and lost and needing his grace. And he calls us to have that awareness of that grace at all times in every moment. And he calls us to a life of humility, And what is humility? C.S. Lewis offers a helpful description. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. 
And although in this story, the tax collector is the one who is justified, we also need to remember that once we accept Jesus' offer, we no longer need to live our lives out of a place of destitution and hopelessness. The gospel of grace takes us on from the position of the Pharisee. The heart attitude of the Pharisee is merely the door that opens us into the way of Jesus and into his offer of mercy and freedom. Once, like the tax collector, there was a barrier, a wall between us and God. And we tried desperately hard to get through, piling up our good deeds um, in order to try and break through that wall to get through to God. And it's a bit like trying to get through a brick wall with a cotton bud. It's completely useless and hopeless and all it does is wear you out and you look a bit stupid. And some of us are still there trying to get through to God that way, trying to prove our worth to both God and those around us. And a pharisaical heart is actually to be pitied. It has not yet grasped the scandalous freedom of God's grace. It has not yet understood that Jesus, when he said on the cross, it is finished, he took a wrecking ball and smashed through that wall that kept us between us and God. The barrier has been smashed, the curtain has been torn, and we have open access into his presence covered by the blood of the Lamb. We are saved and we are free of trying to earn his forgiveness and a way into heaven. Jesus has already paid the price. There's no more trying to climb up the ladder to heaven by pushing other people down as you go up. And there's no more crawling in the doorway, begging to be let in, begging to be heard by God. The moment we accept Jesus, we are his. And understanding and dwelling on this truth keeps us humble. It keeps our heart humble. It means that we become so consumed by the joy of our saviour, of knowing our creator, that we no longer focus on ourselves and on our own goodness and our own needs and desires, but we are so focused on him above all else. And we can live a life continuously grateful for who we are in him, trusting in his redemptive love. The cure for a pharisaical heart is not to try harder. It's not to make more rules for yourself. The cure is to daily remind ourselves of our saviour and what he did for us on the cross. It is learning to maintain a heart of gratitude and worship, remembering that we came to him with nothing and he gave us everything. And um, if you don't yet know this God, if you don't know this saviour yet who has done everything and will take everything that is messed up and broken in you and fill him with your fill you with his life then please come and talk to me come and talk to someone else if you want to know who this Jesus is um, someone at the back or Gordon because we would love for you to meet him and his arms are open to you so I'll um, pray to close so um, Father I thank you that you have done everything that is needed for us to be in relationship with you. Thank you that we don't need to do anything to be welcomed into your presence, that Jesus paid every price for anything that we've done, anything that we will ever do, that he has paid the price and we can always come to you whatever 
whatever we're going through. I ask, Lord, that if any of us are suffering from any of those symptoms, that you would help us, that you would challenge us with your grace and your love and teach us that there is freedom in not having that in our heart and that we would be constantly aware of your grace and your goodness in our lives. Amen.